1: Welcome back to the third hour. I am Seth Liebson, and it is a delight to have one of the Holmans in studio and one of them joining us by phone, Lewis Holman, who is the managing director of Insight Analytics LLC. I N C I T E is how they spell Insight. Uh, he is in studio with me. Good to see you, Lewis. Always a delight, Seth. Thank you. And Hugh Holman, uh, former mayor of Tempe, attorney in town, is joining us by phone from out of town, Washington D.C. Welcome to the airwaves, Hugh.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you both for putting up with my being uh, in absentia, sort of. Uh, and I'm grateful for this opportunity, as always. I did want to report in a little bit yeah. uh, about the uh, happenings uh, in Israel with uh, the uh, attacks by Hamas and uh, have gotten some feedback from a variety of listeners uh, from, uh, that were too harsh on uh, Hamas or rather not uh, sufficiently harsh on Israel to making it uh, painfully clear that uh, it's appreciated that Lewis and I and you, Seth, have given full-throated condemnation for the attacks on innocents by Hamas uh, in Israel, and uh, that following on that, uh, having the opportunity to view a very old uh, firing line with William F. Buckley and a very young Benjamin Netanyahu as the then ambassador uh, to the U.N. from Israel, and talking about the very careful uh, issues in what is terrorism and how a, an appropriate state may respond, and why we have, since that time, really the early 1970s, understood that there are state actors that join in terrorism and themselves are terrorist actors. We know notions of this right now with Iran. Uh, making a very great game of it, uh, urging on and funding and assisting Hamas in attacking Israel. And that's an important thing to begin talking about, that we have state actors that have themselves engaged as governments in terrorism. But what I wanted specifically in starting with this to note how uh, uh, your listeners know that I am fond of the Republic of Kazakhstan, which is a historically Muslim nation, And yesterday evening, at the Kazakhstan uh, celebration of their Republic Day, their Independence Day, effectively, uh, the ambassador from the Republic of Kazakhstan to the United States also joined in a full-throated condemnation of Hamas. So that demonstrates that it is possible to understand the difference between celebrating a religion, Islam, and condemning terrorist activity. And I wanted to make note of that, that as at least one example, and there are, I think, others gathering, of uh, primarily Muslim nations condemning the terrorist acts by Hamas. The second reason I'm here, and I really also want to give a plug for your friend uh, Tevi Troy, a brilliant author, but also such a brilliant mind, and he invited me here in D.C. to an event to discuss the administrative state. And as we look forward to a potentially a Republican administration that we need now to be mindful and thoughtful about how we peel back that administrative state, that we need to understand that the limits of government are such that it is a very blunt instrument. And we have had a very lazy Congress, uh, since the 1940s, really 1947, uh, passing on significant authority to regulators, to administrators within the administrative branch, and our Constitution established, importantly, the distinction between the judicial, the legislative, and the administrative branch. And in this effort to pass on that authority by being lazy and crafting uh, legislation, significant authority has been passed on to administrators unelected, at the bowels of the uh, uh, executive branch, writing regulations that they think are close enough and often do terrible damage to uh, citizens of the United States. And I thought we ought to pick up there on that, and it it happens to be something not only did you write about in your monologue yesterday, uh, or talk about in your monologue yesterday, but it happens to be an area that uh, Lewis is particularly primed in.
3: Yeah, exactly right. Go ahead if uh, you want to weigh in on this uh Lewis. Absolutely. So l- let me start and pick up um with the with the administrative state. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let the let the Israel component sit for a moment here. So when we're, we we had a conversation last week and as we were sort, sort of were we're unpacking where all of these differing roots of of public policy come from. Um, One of the things that we were talking about is that there is a differing but generally sincere desire in most people to see some sort of improvement, right? Very few people get out of bed in the morning looking to do ill. And so we have to couch the fact that we have this great unwieldy beast that was cobbled together with the best of intentions in all likelihood, but whose uh, unwieldiness, whose slowness, whose inherent inertia and trajectory is overly susceptible to unintended consequence. And so when we're looking at something that has ballooned to the scale of $33 trillion of public debt, uh, which is... An absolutely unfathomable amount of currency. Uh, Frankly, you know, most most people can't really articulately picture in their heads what a million of something is. And thirty-three and a half trillion is thirty-three and a half million million dollars. And so it is a staggering, staggering thing that that we've let develop. And now we're at the point where we have to sort of carve away at this bocage that has developed and that now has ossified the exercise of government and civic life here. And it's not easy to do. There isn't generally, I mean, a, a, a very obvious one-size-fits-all repeal other than throwing them out and starting to wipe the departmental slates clean. Where do you see, other than the fact that the administrate obviously is, is burdensome and difficult and onerous. Where do you see politically, Dad, the most obvious area of attack for Republicans?
2: You, you call out probably the gravest challenge we now face, starting in the 1960s with the uh, Supreme Court conclusions that certain things are, quote, entitlements, unquote, that we have a very difficult time having established this uh, cafeteria plan of transfer payments just starting there. Uh, Beyond things like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, you continue to peel back that onion and see massive amounts of transfers of wealth from one group of people who pays taxes to other people who don't. And that is becoming an enormous part of our budget then throw in defense and uh, we have had republicans and it's typically been republicans calling for reform in defense expenditures i know certainly david schweikert uh, is big on trying to push for a much uh, better system under which we mount our defense
3: you mean procurement
2: procurement is exactly right i was just heading there to the, the idea of how contracting is done in the united states to protect the public from uh, fraud and waste assures that we have massive waste because the process of contracting itself and how we protect ourselves from waste and fraud adds such enormous layers and costs to the process that everything the government does is significantly more expensive. And that is not just at the federal level. It's at the state level and at the municipal level. In, in sort of a thumbnail, when a private sector contractor is engaged with another private sector project director, uh, a client or a, a customer, uh, they'll provide price X. But when the government is then the customer, just to address the significant cost accounting and other obligations associated with assuring that the government is protected from fraud and waste, contractors end up adding between 25 and 30 additional percentage points to make up for the additional costs of complying with the paperwork and the other things that have been put in place and crafted onto this uh, monster, this uh, Frankenstein's monster that is intended to protect the taxpayer. It
3: actually That's goes beyond that. That's
2: the thing we need to start with. It's Go not, ahead, Luke. It's
3: not only the, just the static procurement. It is then the, the institutional pipeline of recruitment from government to private sector where then the relationships and the labyrinth and nature of the procurement is continually able to be exploited by insiders.
1: You both raise uh, – let's take a commercial break and come back on this because you both raised two almost ep- – epistemological questions with what you've said about this in the administrative state. Uh, Others have called it the deep state, any number of words, Leviathan, if you, Tom Hobbs, if you like your Thomas Hobbes. Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman are my guests, and um, we're talking about the administrative state. We're playing off of a notion uh here about whether government can still do good, whether it ever could do good, and what the um, clogging of what the sclerosis of 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 the systems we 've engaged and put in place uh, have to say about it or have to do to diminish it. you raise as i said I think two nearly epistemological questions and i 'm going to just lay them out uh real quickly and let the both of you take one or the other or yet something else. The easier of the two, a little more philosophical. I had a caller yesterday making the point Lewis said – I made the point yesterday that Lewis made in the previous segment. People don't generally wake up to say, how can I do bad? There are different maybe definitions of what they think the good is, but they generally wake up with some view, some idea that they want to do something to improve society. I had a caller call me out on that, and I think he was right to do so. He said – Well, there are elements that actually do wake up and want to um, fundamentally transform in a negative way. And it put me in mind, Hugh, you will remember Francis Fox Piven and Richard Cloward in the 1960s. Their strategy to address poverty was to literally break the system, to overwhelm it and break it. I don't know if you called it creative destruction. I don't know if you called it um, Marxism, but there was this idea of the worse, the better. Um, to point out all the flaws so that you could build it from scrap but ha- leaving a lot of damage in in, in its wake. As epistemological issue number one, do people sometimes look to actually do bad? Uh, I'm convinced the answer to that is actually yes, which is a big problem because we still haven't even defined what the good is. The other one that you both raise is um, can we fix things to do good? Have we become too big? Has the Leviathan grown? Uh, too big uh, with special interests, with um, the lobbyists, with unions, with all that goes on in the issue of procurement, have we grown too big to actually be able to... um, are we paralyzed from moving levers very much anymore? Those are the two big questions I hear from what you guys are talking about. You guys ignore them or take them in any way you want.
3: I've got to jump on this first one really quick here, Seth. I actually I, I, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I, I I actually think that that so psychopaths are basically the only ones that get out of bed looking to do ill. Okay. And and even in the case of of someone who is factually wrong they're generally still looking to improve things. And the fact that almost every side of this equation has good-hearted people on it is what makes this truly challenging. If the other side were unilaterally composed of villains, it would be really easy to just take a tape recorder to their next meeting, record them, and then broadcast that for all of the world to see. The fact that there is moral ambiguity here and that there are good-hearted people on the other side is what makes it so challenging to convince that the actual values that we hold to cherish above all others are the ones that in fact should ha- carry the day here. I want to believe you, but we do see people marching, particularly we saw this. Why huge... do the ACAB people march, Seth? Why, why uh, do uh, the uh, people, uh, the, the all cops are, word I'm not sure I can say on radio. Like, right. wh- wh- Why do those people march? But when they shout, burn it down. I, I understand. Why, why do they do that? Do you, do you think that they're Satanists looking to destroy the world? I don't know. I don't know. I happen to
2: be I'll jump in because I happen to agree with Lewis Seth, for yeah. this point and this is what we're trying to tease out yeah. that is difficult. Yeah. I agree with Lewis. There are very few people in the world yeah. who seek to get up and do ill. Yeah. But what we understand from a western perspective yeah. is certain people's actions to do what they think is good, yeah. burn it down, destroy the system to rebuild it in their own image. Yeah. Adolf Hitler thought he was doing good. That's the greatest extreme example okay. I can give you. Yep. Joseph Stalin sure. thought he was doing good by murdering 20 million people okay. because so, he was going to create a utopia that was worth that <laughs> sacrifice.
3: The, the, the problem is that we the, don't
1: – I'm with you guys. I, we, this is not a big issue yeah, for yeah. me. You dragged me we, back to my original question, which is correct. we don't define what good is. We haven't settled on a good definition of what the good is. And
3: and the the problem is, Seth, even if if I had the definition for what good is and I was the one to make that judgment, then for every other ethical conundrum from now to the end of time, you'd have to then shake me up and have me make the decision, right? If I'm the arbiter of good, if if Lewis Hallman's opinion, if my political beliefs are suddenly the arbiter of good specifically – Dad and I don't agree on everything, so he's going to do some things that then are running afoul of this new universal we law. we have,
1: I'll let you go in, on this in a minute, Hugh, in just a moment. We do have a general road map uh, with, shall we say, the preamble of the Constitution. We know what we're supposed to be aiming toward, right? I mean, promoting the general
3: welfare isn't... Sure. I mean, th- th- that is one that a lot of people can agree on, but but even in terms of basic philosophy, we can abstract this a little bit. You know, there there are uh, there are utilitarians and there are consequentialists. There are all sorts. There are people who think the ends justify the means and there are people that don't believe that. If you think that this country is – if your historiography is so diluted that you think that it is a place that is designed to be a tyranny, specifically to oppress the underclass, and that is literally what you believe to be true, then you almost have a moral imperative to act on it. Wouldn't you agree? Dad?
2: And so I would say that, in fact, it is that difficulty in just the sentence you started to reference, Seth, yeah. provide for the common defense, yeah. promote the general welfare, right. and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Right.
3: Those are all values. The They're means- not facts. We can't...
2: And, and the cha- to, to finish, that Lewis has brought forth the notion that we've struggled with, that egalite fraternite and liberty liberty it where you come out in this political uh, array the the spectrum of politics is dependent on which of those three values you put the most weight in i happen to put probably most weight first in liberty because i believe the only way we can uh, deliver anything else is through the individual human liberty that each of us can exercise to advance our self-interest that also happens to deliver significant benefits to others. As a mentor of mine at CMC used to say, you can do a lot of good by doing well. And that's the issue we're facing. And the administrative state comes at this with such, as you say, the leviathan. It is now so large that it is incapable of providing anything other than delivery of the lowest common denominator kind of goods. And in doing that, it commits massive waste. And we're now at $33.5 trillion of proof that that is the case.
3: What's more is that that people don't generally compare to alternatives. They compare to some either hypothetical utopia or or, or some other scenario. When we're looking at the outcomes produced by the current Leviathan, people see the alternative to this elaborate welfare system as, I don't eat today, not some alternate universe where welfare doesn't exist and in in all incentives and choices are totally different, so we have a very different economic outlook, and maybe you have a job in can that we, world. You can know, we, we're exactly, can we can, pick, can you up pick up on that? The, Hugh, back? can
1: you do that on the other side of this break, whatever Please, you're about to you say? You got it. Okay, thank you, buddy. You got it. Hugh Holman is our guest, calling in from Washington, D.C., former mayor of Tempe, attorney in town, educator, and Louis Hallman is uh, related to him as his son and as our friend, who joins us here uh, every Tuesday when uh, they're Able to, he is the managing director of Insight Analytics. He, he, and Hugh and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leipsan Show. Lewis Holman, Hugh, and Hugh Holman are my guests. Hugh by phone from Washington. Lewis Holman in studio. Mister Holman, father, dad, you were about to make a point. I'm sorry,
2: sir. To reset the table, we're talking about can government do good, and you raise the sort of uh, question. There are lots of people who seem like they want to do bad. And and Lewis and I, I think, are arguing the fact that uh, most people who we look at and say that is bad think they're doing good. And we need to do a better job convincing uh, the electorate why what we believe gets you a better outcome than what the other side believes.
3: More importantly... And
2: that takes... Let me finish, Lou. That takes time and effort. And the, the issue we then face is... Uh, We have a government that is a very blunt instrument in trying to do any of these things. So I want to give voice to Ronald Wilson Reagan. He ran on the idea that government was too large, it was too blunt an instrument, and we needed to pare it back. And he created some systems to try to do that and reduce regulation. It became uh, called what is OIRA, an Office of Effectively Regulatory Regulation. People who spend their days looking at regulations that the government is writing and trying to make them work. But at the beginning, 40 years ago, the very first question to be asked really was supposed to be, is this necessary? Followed by the second one of, can government even do this or do it well? And Lewis made the point. The cost-benefit analysis no longer gets done on whether government can do something and do it well, that the costs and the unintended consequences that are imposed on society by government taking on an effort can be significant and impose more costs on our society than the benefits that ultimately result. That's one big portion of this. But Lewis's more subtle point, and I want him to really tease it out some, is that the universe that the left often imposes on us is, if we don't have welfare, people will starve. Not that as Republicans and conservatives would instead say, is the way this welfare system is trying to address hunger or how this system is addressing homelessness isn't actually addressing it. This was the subject of your monologue, that what the state has ultimately done is create a system that perpetuates itself and makes the problems worse. And Lewis, I think, can tease that out better.
3: So two pieces to pick up on that. Um, First of all, Why all of this stress on emphasizing that the other side has a a, a belief in their own correctness? Um, I I would like to make the case that if we're in a political struggle about the vision of the country and the world that we would like to see, then we will have a much easier time in that struggle if we treat those those opponents as the complex moral agents that they are – rather than someone who is mindlessly and wailing, you know, a uh, uh, bleedingly evil. Let the left be the ones that cry Nazi and let us be the party of sensical, deeper conversation about these things because if we can be that organization, if we can be those people, we can really move the needle and demonstrate that our values are in fact the better ones. The now, pro- yeah, as, go ahead. as as far as uh uh whether whether the administrative state can actually do good in the world, whether it can actually solve problems, you know, we 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 see, of course, that there is tremendous inefficiency in most governmental action. Um, this is this is now a, a trivial fact of economics. We see how how taxation imposes uh, uh, a loss of efficiency on markets. We can recognize that there is a complicated and, and real conversation to be had about, about what a better world looks like. But it is not one in which all of our resources are drained endlessly and stripped and reshuffled. And so Go ahead. from there, I think we need to, rather than articulating all of the individual rules that need to exist, all of the laws as they would be complete – I think a much more productive conversation rather than articulating the finished perfect world that we would envision would be the process by which we move there. I'm a fe- I am like federalism. If I had if I could wave a magic wand, there would be no federalized function in the federal government other than Perhaps defense and a few other minor. OK, issues this, is, this is a great
1: pl- place to go to the commercial break on and have you both pick up on because I think it does get you to what you kept mentioning, Lewis, which was the value issue of this and not necessarily the fact. There is an interesting fact value distinction. But you talk about federalism and the move to, you know, localize or move things more to the states, but it doesn't change the values. For example. He will remember this when we were doing a lot of education reform and trying to get it back to the states and trying to do it in the name of the 10th Amendment and subsidiarity and all that. No one asked the question, are the bureaucrats in the states any better or worse than the ones in the federal government? In fact, in many cases, much worse. I'll let you both pick up on that when we come right back. I I, I made a big error, including. uh, This issue of improving society and the good we're talking about by allowing young David Grasshopper, we now call him, uh, to pick one song an hour, and he airs continually. But it's a good segue to the point I was leaving and going to the break on, which is we all want to... (laughs) You say you want a devolution. <laughs> we all want a devolution. We all want federalism and moving things back to the states as a matter of perhaps a constitutional construct or edifice. But it doesn't answer the good question. It doesn't answer what gets us to the good. State government, state power, localized power. No one knows it better than your daddy Lewis as someone who administered it as a mayor two term mayor can be just as bad as what you 're going to get and in many cases worse than what you may get at the federal level, so it still requires us to answer what is going to better
3: secure the blessings of liberty so so I, I love that you make this point. this is one of the one of the really classical arguments against any sort of of largely federalized model uh, that that sort of returns uh, uh, the onus of government to local control and it 's this idea that that um if we can if we can reduce down the population to a smaller number of bureaucrats, we, we can we can get a, a more competent, a, a a better bench of philosopher kings to guide us. And and the issue is that none of these people are philosopher kings. Uh and and that largely the the, the local ones might even be less competent than the than the the national scale ones. However, it is a lot easier to corral a a a politician having lived with one If you outnumber them And and what I mean by that If you've got an appropriate scale If my politician is able to disappear In the entire state's population Of, of what is it uh, 7 million people at this point For Arizona Hello, something I'm like that over, yeah, I think Okay over. Then th- that's a pretty tough conversation My local issues are not going to be prioritized But if there's one representative For every 500 of us well, then suddenly I get a lot more FaceTime, and the issues that we talk about are a lot more directly related to my school board, my neighborhood, my potholes, the little bits of life and governance that actually affect our day-to-day, that are not... Consumed by the headlines. So we have more time and more energy and more leverage to talk about those things. The other thing is that we escape the tyranny of distance. One of the big problems in this current model where everything in the country can be lumped together, especially from a budgetary perspective, is that I, as a voter in Arizona, can be held hostage on a spending bill until the addition of, say, the Rhode Island Institute of the Study of Transits uh, uh, new center gets improved for $3 million. All of the little tiny instances of pork that individually are a small blip in the federal budget, but when combined, really, really are the gristle in this sausage casing that that form the, uh, the uh, sort of vile construct that is this government. And so, well, I'm, you got it. Yeah, you got to get your daddy in here. <laughs>
2: Go no, ahead. No, that's okay, I'm just going to say I think Louis is exactly right, and that the local uh, level of government gets you uh, a much greater opportunity to get your hands around the throat of the idiots who are misspending your money, and it's m- much clearer. But you also have a better chance of affecting that outcome in a positive direction. And so, yes, it is true that lots of school boards are worse than the Department of Education. <coughs> But as an average matter, the Department of Education uh, doesn't do much good and does prevent many good school administrators and many good school districts from advancing the cause directly. That's why we ended up with charter schools in the state of Arizona, that we ended uh, up understanding that even just that small percentage, 10 or 15 percent of parents moving their children out of a a state-sponsored school system force those state sponsors to improve themselves. We need to do more of that kind of work. And I will finish with this. Sadly, at every level of government, we are stuck with human beings who are governing us. And Madison understood that. That's why we try at each level of government to pit interest against interest and human being against human being and use their natural instincts for their desire to push their ideas have that pressed against by others of similar uh, interest so that we balance the uh, likelihood of tyranny by any of these philosopher kings from imposing that on us uh, for a very long period of time
3: the other thing as well is that is that if we have a very sort of local sensitive system this can allow for the fact that that our values vary Seth you know We've we've been talking about for about half the show at this point, the fact that there is a world between your ethics and someone potentially very far on the left. And it would be nice, possibly, if the two of you had separate little worlds where you could have a community, a life that reflected the political values you would like to see insofar as they didn't harm the other. Obviously, murder is not going to be legal anywhere, but... If you want a dry county and he wants a wet county, both of you could be accommodated under this world and no one would be worse off. Why would we need?
2: Go ahead, Just except except when that person then sees the need to fund their ends by my means. Right. And that's where we have the gravest problem. Multi-jurisdictional
3: busybodies.
2: That's correct. And so you end up with lots of resources being drained from one productive place to benefit lack of productivity. So we see Arizona remains a donor state, and we have lots of money leaving our state to the benefit of California and New York. And as they tout themselves as this enormous success in the market, the state of Texas is perhaps the the Elon Musk of the, uh, of the uh, state players. What do I mean by that? Elon Musk succeeded in becoming a billionaire and building these giant businesses. By suckling at the government teeth with SpaceX, with Solar Cities uh, is family's investment there, with Tesla, all of them government-sponsored, supported, billions of dollars poured into them, and Texas holds itself out as this font of independence and liberty, when it has spent significant amounts of its time lobbying the federal government to get more and more resources poured into it, where the state of Arizona has done very little of that, relatively speaking. Massachusetts, the Massachusetts miracle uh, of, uh, of a former governor who was running for president, Michael Dukakis, was built entirely on federal largesse. And we all need to start paying attention to that as well.
1: Let me drop this bomb as we go to break and let you two uh, answer it in the short last segment that we will have in a moment on Lewis's notion that if I could create my own world and sit across from a table of someone who could create their own world, we would have certainly different values. But <clears throat> we would certainly not disagree over the fact that murder is wrong or murder should be illegal. And I, and I, and I challenge that notion because it, it, I believe that there are absolute policy preferences that are willing to ratchet down the enormity uh, or the um, uh, perniciousness, uh, the evil of murder in 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 substitute for other different values. And we can find communities where murder is um, much more homicide, is much more tolerable, much more tolerated and much more diminished as a wrong in favor of those values. And anyway, you you take the point, which is that we still haven't yet agreed on what the good is, on what the true is, on what the right is. And um, that's, that is, that that is, I think, the challenge that the West is facing right now all over the place. And I'll let you both figure out and iron that out in the three minutes we have left on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Leaveson. He's and Hugh Holman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman have been my guests. Great philosophical uh, conversation about a very tactical uh, set of issues having to do with the administrative state. Hugh, I'll let you wrap up if you'll allow Lewis to do a quick uh, quick response to what I loaded up at the last segment. Uh,
2: I will indeed very quickly, and it is this. That, Seth, you posit the fact that we are not doing a very good job establishing permanently – What is the good that we are to achieve? But we always have understood that. The effort in these United States is in every generation to establish the good between order and liberty. And Ronald Reagan explained to us that this concept of what we believe in does not pass down through the bloodstream. We must teach it. And those values that we hold dear are important to pass on and we have failed and the reason that is most clear immediately bringing it full circle that we can see is that we have students out protesting on the street for horrific acts by hamas and not understanding the values behind that and we have failed as the adults in the room to teach those values so that we can have sensible conversations to reach a consensus on what is the good and how to achieve it lou
3: so I've been studying the liberal arts for a long time. I've been reading the classics for a long time. And I hate to break it to you, Seth. I don't have an articulation of what the good is either. And I don't think anybody really does. You can't say what the good is completely. It's sort of like there's a there's a concept in statistics. You can't prove something to be true, but you can uh, uh, show that something is incorrect. So we can come to the good via negativa. Nevati- via showing what is not the good. I can look for examples that I can see that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. And I can use that to modulate and modify my behavior, but positively finding the good and articulating it, especially if you are one for whom liberty is a high order value, I would think is impossible. Describing the good, if I was able to do that, that would be the same kind of top-down moral busybodying that I can't stand from anybody else. Don't don't you think it's self-evident that all men are created equal? No. Okay. Well, that puts you in a really,
1: really awkward place what, vis-a-vis the what, point of the what, founding of this nation. Do,
3: do you think we're equal, Seth? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. We're, we're certainly not the same. As human beings, as well, a category. There, there is some underlying categorical thing that we're, yes. where, yes, indeed we are, but equal is a very hard thing, my friend. Well, you Gentlemen, I'm going to close with this.
1: Yes,
2: I'm closing with this. Freedom yes. is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them for them to do the same.
1: First uttered in That's Phoenix in 1961. You want to do the rest of it? Lest we spend our sunset I certainly years... will. Okay, go ahead.
2: Let them do the same, or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free.
1: Yeah. And unless you have the notion of equality wedded to that freedom and liberty, you get slavery, which was the magic and genius, I think, of what Jefferson taught. On that note, I'm going to have the last word. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebsen for the Hallmans. Class
0: is dismissed. God bless